Synchronized is sponsored by the Production Music Association, the leading advocate and voice of the production music community. Become a member and help us to fulfill our mission. Go to pmamusic.com and click on membership for more info and to sign up. Well, this is going to be a special episode of uh, Synchronized because I think people need to get their notepads and their pens out because there are going to be a lot of uh, technical jargon, new stuff, um, and I think stuff that you want to write down. So, Simon, are you ready for that? Got my pen, Ferry. Yeah, ready to go. Okay. Well, this time yeah. we have Keatley Holderman from Dequency. Keatley, good to see you again. Hello. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Hi, Keatley. Thanks for having me. We, we always start with a simple question, Keatley, is um, how did you get into this wonderful business of production music and now Dequency? Yeah, well, uh, let's see. Um, all goes back to when I was five years old. No, uh, so I started playing piano when I was five, drums when I was seven. I was in bands from about 11 years old until I was uh, about 29. I still play in a cover band from time to time now. Um, so I've always been very into music. Uh, after I ended up going to college and grad school, not for music, um, for electrical engineering, uh, but uh, was in bands and always enjoyed that and, and uh, never thought really I could make a business out of it. Uh, but uh, after I graduated uh, grad school, my cousin was producing a film and she needed someone to do all the music and the audio and the music supervision and dialogue editing and everything related to to sound and music. Um, and she asked me if I could do it. When I was in grad school, I had scored a three-minute short, uh, animation short. And um, so I said, well, I just did this three-minute animation short. Sure, why not? What, what, how, how much harder could a two-hour feature-length film be? Um, it's, uh, it was challenging, but uh, I, it, it was a great experience uh, just learning how to do that, totally hacking my way through it, making a lot of mistakes, um, and then finally finishing it up. Uh, I, I think the thing that was eye-opening to me for that experience is I was living in L.A. for that summer, and I met all kinds of people in the industry. I met a, uh, someone that had a production music library, someone that was a music supervisor, a record label owner, a sound effects uh, library owner, a composer. There were all these uh, jobs out there that were related to music uh, synchronized with picture. And uh, my my understanding of the music industry prior to that was rock star record label, and that was it. I didn't know about songwriters or publishing companies or composers or any of that. And so this was this was very eye opening to me, and I I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, it was this way I could have a quote unquote, real job, uh, and still be in music full time. Uh, so after that experience, I decided that I was going to move back in with my parents and start a custom composition company, uh, and production company and focusing on creating original music for TV, film, advertising, um, video games. And, uh, also, uh, at that time I got myself into another band, even though I swore I would never get into another band, but it always just happened that all my best friends were the guys that I, I played music with. Um, and so that's what we did for fun. And we actually uh, tried to make a real go of it for about five years. Um, I produced an album for the band and and uh, we, we toured quite a bit. And, you know, in to try to make money with the music, um, I knew about Sync because I had just done this this film and and a friend of a friend introduced me to an MTV music supervisor and I, I sent him some music and he said oh this is really cool but actually what I need right now is hip-hop do you have any hip-hop and so then I called up the hip-hop band that we had played with and I said hey let me pitch your music you know we'll, we'll just we'll just split fees and then uh, I got a list of some other music supervisors and I just started cold calling music supervisors asking if they would hear my band. I didn't, I didn't know any better. I can't imagine doing that now. Um, you know, but this was in 2003 and sync was still kind of this, this new, newer industry. Uh, and, uh, and I was, I was totally ignorant. So I just called up, you know, other people and they say, Oh, this is really cool. But actually what I re need right now is uh, heavy metal. Do you have heavy metal? And so I realized, oh, I can get all these opportunities. I just need more music. So I put out ads in Craigslist and I started going to conferences and just gathering up music, uh, bands mostly, but bands, hip hop artists, uh, electronic music artists to represent for sync. And it was just non-exclusive sync representation at the time, split fees, 50, 50. 
Um, and then in doing that, I realized uh, there, there's this royalty stream that needs to be collected and publishing. And this is a service that, that I could provide and we could provide. Uh, raised a little bit of money from friends and family, hired a couple of people, uh, partnered up with uh, this guy, Andre Popoff, and a company, Pig Factory Music, uh, which was a, a European independent publishing company. I became the uh, LA American arm wrapped up my business into that business and became partners. And then we grew out the publishing administration side of the business uh, to, uh, you know, to service songwriters and, and, uh, and artists in that space, always pushing hard on the sync side. Uh, and then it grew from there. But, you know, the original question of how did I get into production music? Because my early work personally uh, was doing custom composition whenever I would do, whenever I would have a job, and it was maybe a you know a thirty second commercial. I'd make ten versions of that, and only one would get taken. So now I have a, nine other versions. Put them together, bundle them into an album, and then same thing, same thing. And early days, I had one hundred and fifty little uh, you know instrumental tracks, and that was the basis of the production music library. Um, so then we built that out a bit. I had these early contacts in the MTV space. Um, we did really well with MTV early on, where we were just putting music into their various TV shows and, um, you know, the royalty stream was, was quite good. And then, uh, so pig factory, which was that company, we merged with riptide music in 2014. But prior to that, the reason why we had the relationship is we started a joint venture production music company called Pacifica music in 2008. And that was because riptide music had been uh, very, uh, strong in the film trailer space and, and working with independent uh, writers and producers to create albums specifically geared for film trailers and video games. Uh, but it was all very artist-based, artist-focused, and, and represent a lot of uh, uh, you know independent artists. But same thing, when they were working with the composers and artists on creating these custom uh, albums, there were all these other bits and pieces of music laying around, hip-hop tracks and pop tracks and rock tracks that didn't quite make sense bundled into an album or didn't make sense for them to push in the right way. We, at the, on the Pig Factory side, we had been developing our own small library. So we said, well, what if we came together? What if we uh, put resources together, organize this more properly? This was right at the time where the, the production music uh, industry was transitioning from CDs into online uh, distribution. And so we said, well, great, let's, let's do this. We're at the right time. We don't actually want to go manufacture a bunch of CDs, um, but we, can, we, we started developing our own digital distribution service uh, and then realized very quickly that that was challenging and we didn't want to be in that business specifically. So we started using off-the-shelf off the products um, and ended up with Source Audio. But yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's really the journey. And I, I, you know, we, can, we can chat about any of that, uh, any questions you guys have there. Well, the, the interesting thing uh, is, Katie, I think that you're probably one of the first guests that we have uh, that have worked both sides of the fence, so the commercial music and the production music. And the question we often ask here is, what is the difference between production music and commercial music? Or are they merging together? Is the difference becoming smaller? What's your take about that? I think the the easiest defining line there is... Is there uh, an artist behind the music? Um, is there an actual artist that is doing the things that an artist wants to do? And what does that mean? That's an artist that's building up a brand image out there. It's an artist that's actually trying to build up a fan base that actually has a story to tell uh, and, and is, is trying to connect with art um, as opposed to with, uh, with a, a utility purpose. And that's not to say that production music can't have uh, an artistic leaning. Of course, we all we always hope it does. But the purpose, really, of production music generally is to serve, is to help um, support visuals and be this behind the scenes uh, uh, tool. Whereas the purpose of commercial music isn't that. The purpose isn't for for to support uh, video. It happens to support video very well and can support video very well, but it's what is the reason for its existence. Uh, and, and that's really how we look at it, or how, how I've always looked at it. So, Keatley, how, how did you 
come up with Dequency? How did that come into being? So Dequency is a, a decentralized sync licensing platform. That's what we're building. Um, and there, there's a lot to unpack there, uh, especially if we're not talking to a, a Web3 blockchain native audience. Um, so I'll, I'll have to <laughs> figure out how deep down the rabbit hole to go. So can, we get say, um, for, can, can we get subtitles for that sentence? Web3-based uh, audience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the yes, first, yes, Katie, yes, the first thing I'd like you yeah, to do is just to establish, you've, you've given, given us a nice distinction between commercial music and production music. So is Dequency a production music business or a commercial music business? It is neither. We are building a marketplace for music rights owners to connect with uh, potential licensees. And our, our initial uh, focus is to connect with video content creators, audiovisual content creators who are blockchain native. What does that mean? So we've all heard about NFTs. There's a lot going on in the news about NFTs. Um, and it's a, uh, there are a lot of people who are making art that is meant to be, to live on the blockchain, to be transacted on the blockchain, to be sold on the blockchain, or to be used in metaverse uh, contexts. So, uh, for example, we were talking with somebody who is doing a fashion week show in Decentraland. Uh, and so that is something where there will be a, a virtual fashion show where there are models, um, VR models walking up and down the runway showcasing uh, digital fashion while music is playing. So that is a, a metaverse content use. Okay, can can, I, just, so can are, I just interrupt you yeah. there, Keely? It's, it's, sure. it's a virtual model. It's digital clothes. So none of it is physical. That's right. Yeah, so think Dolce & Gabbana, for example, wants to <clears throat> to have a fashion show in Decentraland or Sandbox. These are two of the biggest on-chain metaverses that are out there. And uh, they want to invite people into this virtual space and have a, a, a fashion show. And so Dolce & Gabbana will design clothes um, that are only digital designs. They may choose to do a physical version of it in real life, but they may not. Why would they want to do this? Because it's marketing for them. I mean, Dolce & Gabbana is, is a, a big brand. And uh, why are they going to bother to do a normal Fashion Week show uh, in Paris, you know, a real show, which is huge business and is, which is, a, you know, very well respected out there in the world. Uh, so they're going to do this in uh, Decentraland to cater to that audience who appreciates uh, the people who are willing to take the time and effort to showcase within these digital spaces because they're uh, hugely popular and growing. And so they want to be there with that audience. And so w w getting into the mind of the, that audience, they will design clothing virtually um, to for what they hope will appeal to that audience. So, Keatley, just help me. So does each uh, viewer see the same thing is it a show that they see or does each viewer like in a game have a different experience of the event and, and that's part one of my question part two if it's the second does the music have to be open architecture does the music have to be uh you know something that can stretch pull expand etc yeah uh, so the first first part of the question um I, I people can design the experiences how they want i mean the the cool thing about the metaverse typically is it's it's a uh a digital digital social experience it's a digital meeting space so you'll 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 get into the world either through uh v r headsets or just on your computer and then you're walking around you have an avatar and there are a number of other avatars and you can actually interact with people. You can chat with them. You can speak with them. It's like you're, it's like you're there in the real world. You're just there in, um, in a digital world. So yeah, everyone's experiencing the, the event together. Um, and, and you're actually there with other people who are experiencing the event together. So that's there. As far as the, the music, no, I, I, it doesn't have to be that fancy. You know, it's, it's a, it's a track and, you know, people can use the existing, you know, uh, online libraries and, and digital production music libraries for such a thing. Um, 
we're, we're, what we're catering toward in the beginning, and I, I can go into the production music side later, it, we're, we're definitely uh, launching with a commercial music um, side of, of what we're doing. And the, we're building this marketplace so that music rights owners have enough control uh, to feel confident to put their music on an online site. We're, we want to attract music artists and music rights owners that that uh, for which the uh, online sync aggregators uh, don't 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 give enough control. They can't set their own fees. They can't approve the rights. Uh, uh, they can't use their own language of their own agreements. Um, so we're going to build those tools to allow for the music rights owners to to do that. We're also enabling a peer-to-peer licensing transaction. So Dequency is not doing the sync licensing. We're creating a marketplace so that music rights owners can upload their own content, make it available, and license directly to the licensees and those who would want to license the music. So, so every sync license can be unique where money is concerned and terms are concerned? Yes. Now, we're going to... We have to take steps to get there along the way. So we just launched our beta recently. Uh, you can check it out at dequency.io. And it's just a, a very small catalog to begin with. Um, and right now, somebody can get a license for NFT art uh, or uh, metaverse content. That, those are the only two rights that we're offering at this time. It's all done through cryptocurrency. So you have to hook up your wallet. We're building on the Algorand blockchain. So you have to hook up a an Algorand uh, cryptocurrency wallet, and then we're transacting in Algo, which is the which is the currency of Algorand. Uh, we're we're working on building credit card processing so that it's more accessible to everybody out there. But that's going to be steps along the way. Uh, we are working on our music rights portal right now, which should be done by the end of May. That will allow music rights owners to upload their own content and make that available. And then we're building in. The uh, we will be launching a token toward the end of the year that will have um, various utility. Uh, likely, it will be that music rights owners, if they want to put up music, have to stake a certain amount of the token. People can earn the token by doing various curation activities uh, on the uh, on Dequency, like um, making sure that music, when it's uploaded, is free of copyright infringement, is uh, high, uh, giving a quality rating. Uh, checking for uh, the information against what uh, what's been uploaded to make sure it's accurate and complete. Uh, we're going to be incentivizing curation activities so that people, when uh, we want to, you know, the, the 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 experience has to be good for people who are looking to license music. And if you look at some of the DSPs like Spotify, why is that experience a good experience for the user for the consumer? It's because of all the user-generated playlists that people have made. Uh, the more playlists people make, the more the the better the algorithm can choose the high quality and relevant music to serve up to uh, to the listener. So we're going to incentivize similar behavior um, through through uh, token incentives and, and various things that way. Okay, let, so let by me just doing ask, that, ask, sorry, let me just ask this because uh, otherwise it's going to be confusing. Um, people are making playlists, curating playlists. And you are going to pay those people to do those playlists? Is, is that uh, correct? So they'll be able to mine uh, the token, the native token of Dequency by doing this. Yeah. And so, you know, we're working out all the details now, but it'll be, there'll be, there'll be some uh, incentives along the line of uh, playlist uh, creation uh, as people upvote. Uh, different playlists for popularity as songs are licensed from playlists. We'll be running contests so that somebody who wants to license music can put something out there and say, okay, I need this kind of music. Uh, if people, you know, make a playlist and pitch me music this way. And then the, the song that's chosen, uh, it, the, that playlist, playlist curator um, is rewarded with some token, various things like that. We want to create some gamified elements to this as well, so it's a fun experience for everybody. We think that's that's pretty revolutionary. It's it's not that fun going on any online licensing uh, site for production music or or uh, just sync generally. It's you know it's kind of a pain. Um, people just want to get it done as quickly as possible. So we want to we want to make it so it's a bit more fun and with some rewards. I'm mining the token, and then we're talking about mining Algorand, right? 
No, so it won't be Algorand. We'll we'll be minting our own native uh, token, uh, which we'll 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 talk about more in detail as the roadmap go, gets uh, closer to that time. We we just launched, by the way, so it's very early for us. I mean, we 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 just uh, announced the fundraising round last month, and the beta uh, came out right at that same time. So. Uh, you know, I just want to be very clear with everyone that we're talking about that there are there there are some details still to work out on all these things, and we're you know we're we're highly focused on it, but it's just it's still early days. So, Keatley, are you aiming to get the majors as well as independents involved? Is this is that the plan? Yeah, I mean the grand vision. Yeah, and we may not get to the grand vision. We'll have to see. But the grand vision uh, is that we're simplifying licensing across the board. I mean, licensing, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a commercial music uh, issue at the moment, but to license commercial music can be very challenging because you have multiple songwriters in many cases. They might be published by multiple publishers. You might have a different record label. You might have multiple clearance parties on the recording side. So if somebody wants to license a Justin Bieber song or, or you know, a popular song, it can be very difficult. And only the most sophisticated um production companies have the have the means have the understanding have the money to be able to do such a thing um so we want to we want to simplify that process and if we're able to get all the majors on on board and uh, the major independents on board um we can envision a scenario where uh, you know even a, a very complicated song to clear is made available and then someone seeks approval and then all the the parties involved get a, an approval request, and then they have the ability to approve, deny, uh, uh, you know, negotiate, whatever that is. Um, and how are we going to do that, or, or, or what are what are we thinking uh, to be able to do that? And it's to make an online licensing platform so hospitable to the music rights owners that they want to be involved. So that means low fees, means instant payment. Uh, it means uh, full control over licensing terms and rights and, and, and approval rights. And so we think by doing that, and nobody else has, has offered that, or there, there's no platform on the marketplace today that uh, will do the same thing. Um, we think that there's a, a good shot of the, uh, you know, all the parties involved being interested in, in being part of this. Now, if that's not the case, it's not that we've we've uh, we've failed and it, it very well may be that, that you know we can't get everyone on board um so right now we're focused on bringing uh rights owners that control master and publishing rights 100 percent uh and you know we, we are focused on the commercial side at the moment so that's independent artists that's uh independent production uh publishing companies and record labels that, that have both rights and, and that's what we're doing um the next step will be our ability to split payments and split fees even amongst um, independents. So if you've got an independent artist that has two songwriters, but both are unpublished, great. Let's, let's, let's tackle that problem first. And it's actually more challenging uh, than I originally thought when we were going into this to be able to do that kind of split payment. Because I mean, one what, of the what are, what are the biggest challenges? Web then? three. Yeah. Sorry. What, what are the biggest challenges then? Why is it more a uh, challenge? So it's just a technical challenge. So, you know, when I say Web3, you ask the question, you know, what is Web3? So Web3 is really just a, a more current term for blockchain technology. And blockchain is uh, cryptocurrency powers blockchain. And so Web3, when you talk about Web3, blockchain, crypto, it, you know, in some ways they're interchangeable. There are nuances to those. But um, uh, the, the most recent way to talk about that that this technology base is using Web three. It's it's really the next evolution of uh, of the internet, and it's it's really exciting now having been on this side and and seeing all the ideas and innovation and how people are viewing this and 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 the philosophies around it. And it's really it's really beautiful. It's idealistic, and uh, I I believe in uh, Web three to completely revolutionize how society functions how we how we function online i mean in the same way that the internet has revolutionized humanity web3 will will take that uh, uh, the next step and music is going to be uh one of the early places where we see significant 
disruption, I guess, you know, I don't really love the word disruption. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to disrupt anything. We're trying to be additive to the music industry and to the music rights industry. And we really see what we're doing as, as being able to expand the pie as opposed to taking from anybody. Synchronized is sponsored by Ames, an AI-based music similarity search created by seasoned production music insiders. Ames has also launched auto-tagging, so visit AmesAPI.com to get 100 tracks tagged for free. Keaton, it strikes me, though, that you're, you're, kind of simp- you're trying to make uh, what was quite complicated simpler. And if you succeed, I'm sure you will, in a sense, you will be able to offer your music, commercial music, to users who would typically go to library music because that's simple. And so, in a sense, uh, are you looking to kind of eat part of what... Uh, library music provides at the moment or no 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 not not at all Uh, sorry to cut you off no absolutely not Uh, there's a different value proposition between library music and and commercial music and and i'll and i'll I'll speak about you know the library music side of what we want to do as well and i'll get into that there's a different value proposition between a a uh a popular song that has cultural relevance and a and production music uh, that's an instrumental piece of music meant to support picture, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that, right? Like w- when, whenever you, uh, and even if it's not a, a hit song, let's say, if it's an artist that has a following or is aiming to have a following, and and is and is creating songs from this emotional place, uh, and and this artistic place, and and saying something to the world, that just it just has a different value than instrumental music. That, that was created as a tool. Um, and that's not that's one is better than the other. They just they're just different. And so so no, we're not looking to replace anything. We're looking to also welcome production music libraries and composers and that uh, you know the utility side of music uh, with open arms. And uh, we're planning to create a section of dequency that is specifically geared for production music. Um, what we are doing is uh, is having our fees so low that production music libraries want to be involved, that, that composers want to be involved, that everyone wants to be involved and can call the shots and transact uh, directly where we may look to uh, standardizing things on the production music side to make it, you know, a more user, a better user experience for the licensees in a way that they have come to expect for, from production music Maybe some uh, some sub- subscription models, although we're you know we're a little far down the line to figure that one out. But the core of what we're doing is we're we're onboarding music into Web three production. So right now, the vast majority of production music libraries and catalogs and people who are in the space, the sync space, they aren't focused on the Web three content because it's challenging. How do you get to these people? Um, and so we're we're creating the sync licensing structure so that people who are creating content for uh, blockchain purposes can actually get a sync license that's recorded on the blockchain. And then we're going to be creating NFT minting uh, uh, technology so that if somebody wants to integrate their song into their audiovisual production that's intended for uh, NFT use, um, that then they can mint that NFT directly from Dequency and uh, and then onboard it into the Web3 space. So uh, I guess that was a long-winded answer to say, no, we're, we're, we're not looking to eat uh, production yeah. music's lunch. We're looking to expand the potential user base for production music libraries. So can you how, how would it work then? I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Simon. Um, how would it work then? Um, uh, we, we've spoken about that before uh, during um, episodes of Synchronized. Um, how would it work for a library owner selling or trading his music on Dequency? Um, how would it work with the different agents that he has worldwide in different territories? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so. For Dequency, we we are enabling, we are creating a tool. Um, we are not telling people. We're telling people, you need, you need to be able to grant 
a worldwide synchronization license to the people that are seeking that license. That is the only thing that is required of people uploading their content. So if a production music library has different distributors, sub-publishers around the world and have granted exclusive sync rights to those, those partners, it's on the production music library to figure that out. Um, you know, having been in this space for a long time, I think it's not that challenging to go to each one and say, hey, I, I want to carve out for Dequency. Um, and at least for a very long time, there's not going to be any overlap. There's going to, you know, we're, all we're doing is licensing for NFT art and metaverse content. None of the other production <laughs> companies, publishing, uh, I'm sorry, production music libraries out there are doing that, or at least not specifically that. So I can't see really any overlap you know, we're all friends, right? Like you're, you're, if you've been in the, the game for a long time, you're friends with your distributors, you're friends with your sub publishers. It's not that hard to say, Hey, fairy, can, can, can we make a carve out? And by the way, we'll make the same carve out for you. Um, so let's just do this together and we'll figure it out. You know, at some point we're definitely going to be expanding our, uh, licensing rights. I mean, we are aiming to be able to license to all media o over time. And at some point there will be some kind of overlap um, and then that, you know, it's a conversation that's going to have to be had. And then maybe you can't participate in frequency because of these relationships and those are important. And that, that's a decision that, you know, individual people will have to make. Keely, um, music always reflects the technology, you know, so without the Canon, we wouldn't have had the saxophone without NASA. We wouldn't have had the Moog synthesizer. What is web three? You said it's going to change our lives. How is it going to change music? Well, that's a good question. Um, how is it going to change music? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, my so observation I, I mean, about Web Web Two, Keatley, is that that different people started making the music. You know, um, the kind of entrance requirements to make music now are very different from forty years ago. Forty years ago, you probably had to be an amazing pianist. Uh, probably been to college and stuff now you've got to be an amazing tech guy you've got to be able to work at daw you've got to have a great access to samplings and stuff so web three i'm interested but is that know. web is that web is is that a web two is that an is that an internet phenomenon or is that a music production technology evolution well, phenomenon i think it's more what you say but i mean they're they're kind of linked aren't they they did um the distribution certainly. I mean, the web, web two distribution through Spotify's out there has has definitely allowed for um, much much more music to get out there, and well, there because music is so much easier to create and get out, there's just a flood of music. So the technology distribution. The technology democratized the process of making music, but the internet offered the window to show it. So I'm really intrigued about Web three about what you know. What's gonna, what, how's it going to affect music? How, how's it going to be different? That's why I asked you about open architecture and stuff because as a composer myself, I'm fascinated when somebody opens a window and shows a new type of music and I'm wondering if there is such a kind of window opening. All right, I'm going I'm to give you my, my predictions and I have Great. not uh, been asked this question or thought about it, so I'm, just, I'm going on the fly. So I'm going to give two predictions of how this will change music. One is that there will be a lot more algorithmically generated music out there and that's not to say robotic, you know, AI music, although I do think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's specifically a Web3 phenomenon. I think that's just an evolution. But um, within NFTs, something that's very common is for um, generative art uh, NFT series. So uh, on, the, on the visual side. So what that means is maybe you start with a character and then you have 150 different attributes and then you feed that into a randomizer and then it, it can generate infinite amount of um, specific images that randomize all of these different attributes. And then they choose, you know, if it's a 5,000 uh, series set, then they choose the best 5,000 that they like, and then they go sell those. Um, there's a, a, a music NFT platform called SoundMint that's very cool, uh, where they are doing that on the visual side, but also on the music side. So they're feeding uh, stems into a, a randomizer and coming up with 30 second pieces. I don't know if it's 30 seconds. I think it's 30 second pieces of, uh, of music. And every single one is its own unique uh, 
the composition based, you know, starting with these various elements. And the feedback has been amazing. And so it was a very successful project. Very, very cool. Um, uh, I'm a fan. And so I can imagine a lot more of that happening. And I think that's quite interesting. I also think music might get shorter. Like the, the idea of just listening to music background, you know, th- three minute, 30 second songs. I mean, already, if you go on Spotify, there's a, a bunch of two minute songs because people's attention spans are just so um, short these days. I can imagine it getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And especially, you know, if you're saying Web3 and, and if we're talking about what we're doing and we're pairing up music with visual art content, uh, you know, people want to experience it in bursts and chunks. So I, I, I can imagine uh, songs getting very short. Mm, great. Fascinating. That's, that's an interesting thought, by the way. I'm just curious to... Um, yeah, I've, I've, I, written, I I've written I'm them right, down. But... I'm going to call you in 15 years and see, see whether you're right. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I mean, it strikes me, uh, Keatley, that maybe looking doing another fashion show with, in a few years' time with Dolce & Gabbana, that uh, with what you're explaining, each listener could hear their own soundtrack to that fashion show. That in a sense, you know, what you described is very much like putting a show on and it doesn't seem very Web3 to me. That sounds very like old school, whereas putting a show on where everybody gets their own music, their own mix, you know, their own perspective, that's, isn't, that seems possible from what you say. Am I wrong? That's a really cool idea, and I haven't heard about that, but uh, that can... could work. That would be amazing. So imagine, imagine you invite a 1,000 people to, to a show, and you you airdrop an NFT to each one of those thousand people. And that NFT has its own unique generative mix of this song. And then everybody's walking around and you can share, you can say, Hey, check out my song, check out my song. And then you can like swap back and forth and share it. That's cool. This is, this is, this is what's so cool about web three, right? It's like whatever idea, whatever crazy idea you can think of that's possible. And, and a lot of it has to do with NFTs. NFTs, at its core, it's just a, a unique token. It's a, it's a unique coin. And that unique token can have all kinds of information and utility um, and, and transfer of ownership. So it can be a ticket to a show. It can be a ticket to a fan club. Uh, NFTs, you know, the most mainstream perception of an NFT these days is it's an image. It's a JPEG that people use as their their um, you know Twitter profile or something like that, but that is not an NFT. That is a use case for an NFT. Um, another use case for an NFT is is a is a song. So there are there are music NFTs that are out there similar to uh, visual NFTs, but a lot of it, yeah, and then you can attach utility to it. And what we just talked about here, that is a use case for NFTs and, and a super cool use case. I love that. But why, why why would you want to have an NFT? Because um, for me, it's it's still I want I want the physical product, you know. I'm still the guy that wants to have the CD. I bought the CD, I I own the CD. So why would I want to own an NFT, which I don't really own because it doesn't yeah. exist in physical world. Yeah. So when I first was hearing about the concepts of NFTs last year, um, early last year, that's kind of when I, you know, I, I became aware of what was happening in the space. I had that same question. Um, and really it was my kids that helped me understand what that was. So my kids play Fortnite and, uh, they play Minecraft and in Fortnite, you can get different skins, which is like, uh, different costumes and, and, and things. Um, and you can get different emotes, which are dances. Those are the, the, the two main things that you can get. And depending on when you got it, it's scarce, it's limited. You had to be in season one of this and play at this time and get the, get the thing or find the thing or get traded at some point. It's a limited edition, this. And then over time, uh, you can't get it anymore. And I was on a, I overheard my son Ben talking to one of his friends or talking to a new friend and he had this certain skin on. And he said, oh, you've got that skin that was from season one, awesome. Like, I've heard about that. I, my favorite YouTuber was talking about that, and I always wanted it. And I just, I was like, like, for me, yeah, what do I care about that? I don't care about the skin or the emote, but they do. It's real to them. This is, this is, this is an actual thing that's meaningful in their lives. And because 
their digital lives are so important to them and will continue to be important with them. Like this is how they hang out with friends. I mean, it, a lot of this came out because of COVID, right? So COVID was, was very meaningful to the, to the growth of NFTs and, and Web3 in general and cryptocurrency because everyone was stuck at home. And this became their social outlet um, to get together with their friends playing these video games. And so when you're in the digital world, how you look digitally is, is important to them in the same way that why do you wear the shirt that you wear? Why do you have a hat on? Why do you, you know, dress the way you dress or drive the car you drive or whatever? It's not all just for utility. Some of it is to express who you are or to flex a little bit and be like, you know, I was, I was here this time. I've got good style, what, what, whatever the reason is. And so it's the same thing in your digital world, whether you're playing a video game or you're in a, a metaverse. So going back and, to the fashion Fortnite show. Is a, is a form of a metaverse and, so going back to the fashion yeah. show from Dolce and Gabbana, you're talking about, and uh, um, I would be able to see a digital design from Dolce and Gabbana, and then probably I would also be able to buy it and put it yeah, on my own. Yeah, imagine avatar. this. Okay, that's right. And then, and so, okay, last year, uh, do you guys know Nyan Cat? Have you heard of this this meme? It's like it's a famous YouTube uh, meme uh, with rainbows coming out of its butt. And I, it was very famous uh, on YouTube for many years. And, and Nyancat came out as one of the biggest NFT sales last year, generated some like over $600,000 um, for its NFT. And at the time it was like, why? I don't get it. This doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone do this? Um, and the reason is whoever bought it, when they're in their metaverse, they can wear the Nyancat t-shirt. They can put it on their car, their metaverse car. They can do all these things. And then That's the guy that owns Nancat. So for people that care, it's like, oh, you got that one. Nice. Good one. And you'll see on Twitter, people put their Board 8 Yacht Club or their CryptoPunk. Those are, those are two of the big NFT series. And that means something. You're, you're, you're signaling, I'm part of this club. I understand this culture. Uh, I get this. I'm supporting this. And so for other people who believe in that, you're now one of them. You're part of them. For everybody else, you know, they don't get it. But at the same time, I don't wear Dolce & Gabbana. I don't care about Dolce & Gabbana. That, that, that's, not, that's not the kind of style that I have. But for people that, are, that do, that's signaling, I'm willing to spend a lot of money on clothes. I, 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 I think high fashion uh, is, is great. I like that. That's what I want to look like. That's what I respect. And so, That you know, it's all it's all it's all signaling. And why do you feel that way? I don't know, right? How you grew up? It's what kind of business you're in? It's who, who, what kind of social circles you're in? All those things. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of just as a funny aside, you know. Even even though I've been in the music industry my whole career, still when I go to music industry conferences, people dress nicer than the average. It's business casual. It's it's button down shirts and whatever. And then now I've been going to crypto conferences for, for the last year or so. And if I wore a button down shirt, it would be weird. It's t-shirts. And so it's, it's, that's just a small example of where fashion is important in terms of signaling um, what your culture is, who, who, who you're with and, and what you represent on, on the outside. And so it's the exact same thing in the, in, in a digital realm. So just kind of coming back to why do I want to own that NFT? Um, NFT, it might be that, it might be a use case. I can use this thing, this image, this, this, this piece of fashion um, in my digital world. Um, but it also, it might be for investment purposes. I want to be the owner of this. And when you own the NFT, you are the, you have the digital ownership. You know, people say a lot, well, why do I need to spend thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars on this JPEG? I can just look at it online. Uh, and you can look at the Mona Lisa online but you don't own the Mona Lisa. You know, you can look at a Banksy online, but you don't own a Banksy. If you own the NFT, you, you, are the dig, you are the owner of those digital rights. Now you might say, well, why do I care about that? Well, people do, some people do care about that. You know, why do you, why do you want to buy that Mickey Mantle baseball card? Which I don't care about, but you know, a Mickey, a 1950, whatever Mickey Mantle baseball card goes for millions of dollars, but you don't, what do you do with it? You, you buy it and you stick it in a safe probably because you just spent millions of dollars on that baseball card. You want to make sure that it, it doesn't get stolen and that no one's looking at it. It's like, okay, what, what, what's the good of that? Might as well buy the NFT of it. And then you and then store it in your wallet. So it's a, it's a digital collectible. Is, and it, is, why is, there a, it, is there a chance that your NFT is, is going to get stolen? 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so then that, that becomes a, a security issue. So then there are hardware wallets that you can download. There are various security measures you can take to do it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's for sure an issue. I mean, this is all new technology that people are just figuring out along the way. And you're going to have bad actors. Uh, into, I mean, th there were a lot more bank heists in the 1800s than there are now, right? Because there wasn't security measures in place to prevent that. And, and so I think you see less bank heists these days for that. So I think we'll, we'll see the same thing in crypto and Web3 as time goes on. Amazing. Uh, we, we got very off music, but yeah, this is, this is a, a fun topic to discuss. It, it, it helps me to understand why NFT is getting so important. It's, it's like you live in a virtual world and you want to own a virtual Lamborghini, right? That's and right. And it's a special version of Lamborghini, and everybody knows, oh, you got the special version one. But might, very might if that If Lamborghini not... came out... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, might that be like the growing pains of, uh, you know, we make a virtual world and what we do is because we don't know any better, we replicate the real world. We, we fantasize over virtual Lamborghinis, but quite quickly that will just disappear. We'll find new stuff. And uh, uh, what intrigues me is whether this might be uh, the birth of capitalism 2.0 or 3.0 or a, a kind of uh, a growth of, you, you talked about idealism, about whether we might actually stop wanting so much stuff and uh, adopt some other things that are more useful to the world than stuff. Um, Hey, we're right off. Music yeah, I, I think I, th I think that's possible, and I, I think I think we'll move. I think our digital lives will become more and more important. Um, will become more and more meaningful. I mean, just like you don't. I mean, maybe you do, but probably you don't always just go out of your house in your pajamas. Why not? It's way more comfortable. But if you do that, you're signaling to the world that you don't care about your appearance, that you're sloppy, that you're. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you don't understand societal and cultural norms, right? These are all the reasons why you don't go outside in your robe. So it's the exact same thing in your digital space. If you just have your avatar, that's the default avatar, and you don't bother to customize it in any way, you, you know, you're not that cool. You're the dork. And, and, if you, and you might say, well, I don't care about my digital life. Okay, but... People do, and people will more. And then the more, the, the less and less you evolve in that space and start to care more about your digital life, the more you're going to be excluded from what becomes the, the mainstream and the norm as, as time goes on. I think what Simon tried to say is that um, he, I think he kind of hoped that uh, the new digital life, the virtual world, would get rid of all those stuff. And um, there wouldn't be. I don't think a, so. Yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't you're more that. an idealist, so. aren't you? Aren't you, uh, Simon? I didn't say that. What I what I was asking is the question. You know, always when technology opens a window, what it produces is not what we expect. And if we we kind of we've become more and more narrow in my life, lifetime about what we expect from life, because you can buy it all. My generation and my dad's generation had to make it because it wasn't there to buy. So I I would say. From, from what Keatley's saying is that this window that opens does offer many other opportunities other than just stuff. And um, so that's that's really what I'm thinking for you. You know, I'm uh, as guilty of you as liking a good, a nice car and, you know, um, a nice holiday and stuff. But, uh, you know, that's 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 another thing. What, what What's interesting as a creative person, which is what I am, is what opening this window is going to do for my creativity and it, and it sounds fascinating to me i'm going to open it yeah and and what i'll say is i have never been so creative in my entire life or been around so many creative people and it the the idea of a creator uh growing up and in most of my career was a you know a music creator it was a visual art creator and now Creators in the Web3 space are the programmers, are the people who are creating projects, who are developing uh, the, the, the platforms. They're creators. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not currently making music in my, in my daily life, but I'm, I feel incredibly creative. And it's, it's, a, it's a really awesome uh, community to be in. And I guess just to tie it back to music and production music and why the hell everyone is listening to this, um, because the digital world is growing so much uh, and will, I believe, with every fiber of my being, will continue to grow and grow and grow and become more and more meaningful. There, 
you know, as people, we appreciate music uh, in our experiences. And so digital experiences will require music. And so what we are doing at Dequency is creating that bridge into the digital realm for music and doing it in an on-chain way um, and, and speaking to the, the culture of uh, Web3 audiovisual content creators and, and allowing a, a legitimate licensing um, scenario to happen. Because I think m many of these audiovisual content creators they don't understand music licensing. They don't know how to license music. Uh, they don't know where to get music for their projects. So we want to we want to create that that community um, that guides them to do it the right way. So do you think? Um, I mean, at the moment, we basically absorb our music as a kind of two dimensional object, stereo. Um, it's audio only. Do you think as time goes on, we'll have many more dimensions music won't just be a, an audio thing it'll be a visual thing it'll be a, a sense thing you know might composers be people who do music and visuals or sure uh, yeah absolutely I, I think so you might have visuals that are that are automatically generated from music content it actually exists already right now sure. but it might become more prevalent yeah yeah one final question because i know you have to go uh, Keatley, um, you have another appointment. I was going through the list of people who are investing in Dequency, and I saw some interesting names. And of course, the one that got my attention was that the Musk family um, is also investing in Dequency. Mm. Is that uh, is that a sign that this is the future of of our industry? I mean, obviously, I think so. <laughs> I would say a, a resounding yes. I mean, I think that we're the, we're the future of this industry, and our our goal is to um, our goal is to is to create a system where ultimately the music creator retains as much of the income generated from music that he or she creates, uh, and and that the the third parties in the middle. Um, go away or are transformed in some way. Uh, and that, that's not to say that music rights owners and the companies behind those that are investing in the music creation, the music um, production, I, I very much value and support um, that, that side of the business. Um, we want to create a system where, where there's more music, more money in the pot, for uh for music creators even if it flows through the music rights owners that that help fund that and so that's what we're doing that's what we're building it is the future of music um and uh, and yeah absolutely well right. i want to thank you very much for your time and all the explanation and i've made my made up my mind simon i'm going to be an nft bandit that's what i'm going to be that's what i'm going to focus on you'll be very good at it very i'm sure well keithy thank you very much um and we hope to have you back as a guest in a couple of years and see... Yeah, well, thanks for having me. See what the predictions are. Simon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just want to encourage any of our listeners to uh, give us a good review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. The better the review, the more, the better the guests we get. So go ahead, give us a five-star. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much and okay. see you in two weeks, uh, Simon. Thank you, Keatley. All right. Bye-bye.